Let's jump right into Psalm 23 this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack what? Anybody know the answer? Nothing. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, we thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for the word that you've given to us, O oh Lord, to know you better, to know your character, to know your story. Lord, for the information that it gives us to know about you, but also, God, for the insight and revelation to know you, O oh God. Pray that as uh, we navigate, Lord, this scripture once again and a couple others, that to Lord, not only would it give us information this morning, but Lord, as we go through your word, may it come alive uh, to us, and Lord, may it cause us to come alive and uh, grow closer to you in our faith, and Lord, may it uh, encourage us this morning and build our relationship with you, O oh God. In your name we pray, amen. Well, we kind of been talking about this one particular verse, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We've been on this valley of death for for a few weeks now, probably five weeks, and we had Pentecost Sunday last week, and I uh, just kind of, you know, I don't want to say I feel like we're stuck in the valley, but I feel like there's lots of things that we can continue to work through as we talk about going through the valley of the shadow of death. There's lots of principles and things that we learn through the valley, and, and uh, I believe that there's uh, some important things for us to pay attention to still yet to come. And so today, as you may have picked up a theme even through some of our worship and our praise, I was trying to come up with a, with a, with a, a title for this message would be. So, um, you know, it's all the different things. We've done rest in the valley. We've done hope in the valley, kind of the three weeks talking about Habakkuk and all those um, experiences that he had. But I want to talk about uh, battles in the valley this morning, fighting in the valley. And it was kind of Funny having uh, talk about gentleness with the kids today and saying, "Hey, yeah, don't beat up on your brother. Uh, don't uh, don't be mean. Be gentle with him." And and how many here have siblings? Anybody here ever not fight with your siblings before? Anybody at all? Me, I have never fought with my siblings ever, and I have siblings that I didn't grow up with, so it doesn't count. So it doesn't count. <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's just the way it is. Sometimes, uh, sometimes we, we get into these battles. Now, as, uh, as uh, those things, I'll let you kind of go to the family counselor and you can deal with some of those things if you need to. But uh, there's battles that we face, and, and oftentimes the battles that we face, what we see in front of us is flesh and blood. But as we read the word, it tells us that our battle is not always flesh and blood. And there's, uh, there's usually some sort of spirit behind uh, those battles. And as I was taking this minute for us to pray this morning, as I prayed with Elizabeth, she said, I, you know, I asked her to come then pray. And she's like, we're praying here. She's like, you're making me cry in the middle of this prayer. And I think uh, there's just some truth to some of the things that we say in our prayers and the way that the Lord speaks to us. And one of the things that I believe he spoke to me this morning as I was praying over her 
was that so many things in opposition we experience in life, we just look at what's in front of us. We see the people that are standing up against us. And as we just kind of prayed for her, you guys all know she's a nurse and she's in healthcare. And I said, you know, I, I, I strongly and firmly believe the Lord wants us to be well. I, I strongly and firmly believe that he created us for his glory, for his goodness. He redeemed us and he is redeeming us and he is restoring us and he desires for us to be good and he desires for us to be well. And I said, anything that comes against us being well is not from God. Now, there are times where God allows us to be tested. He allows us to be tried through the fire as a test and a building of our faith. There's moments where we are led through the valley to experience the hardships that we do face because those moments do test our faith, they build our faith, and according to what famous singer saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger? Who was that one? No one knows the answer to that song? Who wrote and sang that one? Is it Kelly Clarkson? I was not thinking Kelly Clarkson. Okay. I was thinking it was Lady Gaga, but I was wrong. This is how much I listen to Pop music. All right. So I don't believe that that's always true. But, but the fact is, is that I believe we are made to flourish as human beings. God created us for flourishing. And anything that comes against human flourishing is a power of darkness. And so it manifests itself, of course, into some other form of opposition. And don't get me wrong, life's not supposed to be just easy and everything's done for you. Like there's not going to be challenge kind of thing. And, uh, but there are, there's opposition that we face. And, and when we ask the Lord to say, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, Lord, would you give us the discernment and the wisdom to see the things that are not from you? The things of God that are of a spiritual power of darkness. And uh, I don't know about you, but... Um, I don't really have supernatural spiritual powers, but I have been filled with the Spirit. I have been baptized in the Spirit, as we talked about last week on Pentecost Sunday, and I believe that as the Lord, as we pray through some of these things, and as we even pray in the Spirit, the Lord fights for us, and he fights our battles for us, as we sang in the songs this morning. And I heard you singing this morning, so I know that you must believe it at least a little bit. Now, one of the things uh, before Pentecost Sunday, we did Habakkuk chapter 3, and it says in Habakkuk chapter 3 uh, that uh, he did this very unique type of praise moment. Uh, does anybody remember the fancy, big, weird word we talked about two weeks ago? That uh, You could read it, right, Habakkuk 3 chapter 1. It says, uh, it says it right there. It says, it, uh, Habakkuk says a prayer on Shigionoth, and you might remember that word now. You guys all looked at me and said, a what now? And uh, that's exactly what I say when you read the Bible and you read Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 1. What in the world is a Shigionoth? And the only other time it's mentioned is in Psalm chapter 7, and it's not even in the verse itself. It just says a Shigioth of David, and essentially it becomes a really intense song of uh, sung with strong emotion, impassioned exuberance. It means wild, passionate singing, rapid changes of rhythm, a high-spirited praise with vigorous enthusiasm. So the kids, I think, are talking about gentleness today. This is not a gentle kind of song, all right? This is a very intense, uh, as one commentator put it, it is praise punctuated with exclamation marks. And the exclamation mark is my favorite form of punctuation. If you've ever read an email from me, read a Facebook post from me, you, knew, you probably picked up that an exclamation point is like my favorite part of punctuation. Just So Shiggy and resonates with me 
that way. But what does that help us understand? Because Habakkuk finds himself in a very dark, 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 dark valley. He finds himself coming up against incredible opposition. And as he calls out to the Lord, the Lord replies and says, it's only going to get worse from here. And I'm going to send the Babylonians to bring judgment upon you and upon your people. And it's not going to be pretty. And so what is what does Habakkuk do? He goes into chapter 3, and he begins this process of praise called Shigionoth. And I want to understand is that he did this before God did what he wanted God to do. So as he was praying, as he was calling out to the Lord, he decided to take the word the Lord had spoken to him, which was not a pleasant, pleasing aroma to the ears that we were whole hoping for and holding on hope for. It was an, a word of devastation and destruction. And then he says, but the Lord, at the end of chapter 2, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. He's set apart. He's holy. And so he looks at the history of Israel, and you read that in chapter 3. And he says, remember, God, your faithfulness. Remember how you saved us back then. And even though I can't see it now, and even though I know what is about to happen to us, I know that your promises are true, that one day you will save us again. So God, right now in this moment, before you even answer my prayer, before you even show up, I'm going to take a posture and I'm going to praise in a way that I've never praised before, perhaps. I'm going to praise in a way that's going to be loud, it's going to be exuberant, it's going to be noticeable, and I don't care what anyone thinks, what anyone says, similar to the way that David uh, dances before the Ark of the Covenant, I totally unashamed before God. He takes this posture of praise, and he does it before God does what he wanted God to do. And it gives us this indication that we really ought to praise God for who he is, not just what we want him to do or what he has done. But God, we're going to praise exuberantly because of who you are, because you are worthy of our praise, even when you don't answer the prayer that I wanted you to answer the way that I told you to answer it in my prayer. God, I said the best possible prayer of my life. I I talked to Pastor Gary. He told me to read the Lord's Prayer, and he broke down the Lord's Prayer for me. And, okay, the Lord is is holy. The Lord... um, you know, how, how old is his name? And so he's holy. He's in heaven. and He's our father. We, we broke it all down. I prayed all the right things. But God, you still didn't answer the prayer I wanted you to answer. It's praising God for who he is, not for what he has done or what we've asked him to do. And one of the things we learn through the valley season of finding hope in our valley is Lord, as Habakkuk says in, in chapter 3, verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. What a powerful moment of prayer. So today, as we shift from this posture, I want to keep this. I kind of repeated all of that message again quickly. I want us to keep that in mind this morning this posture of praise. Now, it may not always be wild and exuberant like we find in Habakkuk chapter 3. It may not be a shigianoth of ourselves, but maybe it really ought to be. Maybe there's nothing left to do. And so, God, with everything that I am, with all the energy that I can muster up, maybe I'm alone in the middle of the bush, in the middle of a lake somewhere, in my basement, in my attic, in my bedroom. My kids are freaking out. What's going on in there? What is dad or what is mom doing? Why are they screaming at the Lord in their room? I don't know. Wherever you need to do, Praise the Lord the way that you need to praise the Lord. So after exploring 
hope in the valley. We remember God's faithfulness. We praise him in the storm. We praise him in the valley. What comes next? There's still a battle that has to be fought. And so today, as we move through this a little bit, we want to talk about fighting in the valley, fighting the battles in the valley, because we know the valley is a deep, dark place. As you walk through the valley, as, as they go through, they, they fear potential bandits. They fear uh, being um, killed and put to death, feeling being robbed, uh, fear of even just slipping and falling and getting injured. There's all of these, all of these dangers that happen in the valley. And so after exploring, we, we realize that as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as they walk through the darkest valley, as we read this morning, What's the next line? It says, we will fear no evil, for you are with me. So we will fear no evil. There is nothing to be afraid of. See, the problem with fear, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but the problem with fear is that we tend to submit to what we fear to. Right? We, we see this as, as the Israelites are promised this promised land to enter into, and Moses sends out 12 spies, and 10 of those spies go, we cannot enter the promised land. We will be defeated. They are afraid of what will happen if they go to take the promised land. And so they submit to their fear, and they submit, we will not enter the land that God promised us because we are too afraid, and they're submitting to this other authority. Meanwhile, you have Joshua and you have Caleb, really the next generation of leaders, and saying to Moses, we can do it. The Lord is with us. And yet the 10 were against him, and they submitted to this fear. David is a shepherd who led his sheep through every possible scenario, the good, the bad, the ugly, the good days, the bad days, the mountains, the valleys, the green pastures, the still waters. And as David looks and reflects on his time as a shepherd, he pauses in Psalm 23 as he writes this psalm, and instead of taking the posture of a great leader, which, which we, we think he was just as he became king or about to become king, that he writes Psalm 23. Instead of taking the posture of a shepherd, he looks at the journey that his sheep have gone through, and he begins to pause and he begins to reflect. And he looks back on his time as his journey to become king is made known, and he had not a nice leisurely stroll into the throne room. He did not become king just in a very peaceful transition of power. And we could talk about that another day, but he went through hell and high water to get there. And he takes the posture, not of the shepherd, not of a great leader or a great ruler. He takes the posture of one of his sheep. And then he says, through every battle, through every season, the Lord has led me. The Lord is my shepherd. He's always provided for me. He's given me green pastures when I was hungry. I never went without. He gave me a quiet place and a safe place to lie down. He gave me the still waters to drink from. And it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that even we can read it like this. Even when the Lord leads me through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Two words I want to pay attention to today is the first one is leads me. Even on my best day, I don't want to forget what I, I, wrote, I wrote this down so I say it properly. It says, let us never forget that on our best day and let us never forget that on our worst day that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our good shepherd who leads us. And so you can question, you can be uncertain of what's happening, but never give up hope, never lose confidence because of who 
Jesus is. John tells us in his gospel that Jesus is our good shepherd. He is the one who leads us. But here's the beautiful thing. He doesn't lead us to the valley. Where does, what does the word say he does? He leads us not to the valley, but through the valley. So next thing we want to remember is that this is not our home. The valley is not our resting place. This is not the destination. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, he doesn't say even when I die in the valley, even when I'm defeated in the valley. Friends, there's nothing on this earth that can ever separate us from the love of God. When we walk with Jesus and we choose to follow Jesus and follow him, nothing can take hold of our lives that will cause us to fail. The only possible course of failure when we get to the valley moments is when we give up on God ourselves. It says the Lord will lead me through the valley, not to the valley. The only time we can possibly fail in the valley is when we give up on God. When we decide to call it quits and we forget about God's faithfulness, we forget about his goodness, when we get tired and we decide just to give in to the pressures of the valley around us, that is when we fail. But today's message is not about failure in the valley, although we could talk about maybe redemption in the valley. But we fail because we fear not God, we fear everything else. We fear men, we fear earthly powers, but as we read to a young, a letter written to a young pastor named Timothy, Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given you, or given us rather, a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And so really, as we experience fear all the time, Right, we want to give in to the pressures. We want to give in to the fears around us. Maybe I should just curl up and die. This is this Elizabeth and I, we, we joke about this. And when we have a bad day, the, the expression is, I want to go find a hole, curl up in there, and just stay there. Right? And those are, those are legitimate feelings. Right? It's okay to have those feelings because those feelings are, are, are certainly allowed. But it's the action that really matters. We don't actually have a hole in our yard that we could go curl up in and hide. I mean, we have maybe a moment to have a quiet time, time to kind of get away and to rest and reflect. That is different than giving up and dying, though. It's different than just curling up and ignoring the fact that the world exists. There's a difference. But the message is not about failure in the valley because we do not fear anything else except for God himself. And I, I got a little excited. I had to put it in my notes because you keep reading 2 Timothy and it's just some really good, good quality material. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, it's hard to stop reading it because it gets so good sometimes. Maybe when you read Numbers, it's not quite as exciting because it's numbers, but there's some value in there when you start to study. It's incredible. But I just had to put this in there because Paul gets excited about what he's sharing with Timothy. He goes on to say, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed to preach the good news. Last week, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Easter, the First Fruits Festival. Now, anybody who can say First Fruits Festival without getting tongue-tied, you can deserve another cup of coffee this morning. And if you drink lots of coffee, you might be able to say it really fast. The First Fruits Festival. 
And it's amazing that God chooses on this particular day, on the first fruits festival, to pour out his spirit on all flesh, on the sons and on the daughters. And they begin to prophesy and they begin to dream dreams and have visions of God's glorious kingdom and future that is coming here and now and yet to come still. But he has this moment and he says, do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not be ashamed of this moment of Pentecost where God pours out his spirit on the festival of first fruits. And thousands of people come to know the Lord that day. Thousands of people put their faith in God on that day. And yet the timing tells us that is only just the beginning. And you can continue to read through the Acts of the Apostles, continue to read the book, and you see story after story after story after story of how God's kingdom is expanding and growing and expanding and growing. And we see some of the growing pains that the church faces in its early days. And, and if you look around today, we still see the growing pains that our churches face because we see globally there's just always going to be some sort of tension there. Some are going to go up and some are going to go down. We're going to disagree on some things. We're going to do things a little bit differently and and we're going to work through all of those things until the Lord comes again. And Paul says to Timothy, you have nothing to be afraid of. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. So do not be ashamed about the gospel. Do not be ashamed of where you're at. Maybe it feels like you're in the valley. Maybe it feels like you're worthless. Maybe you're afraid. You don't really know what the next step is or where to take that next step. And I've used this expression before, going through the naze crack and taking the kids through the hike. And they're scared to take that next step because they can't see the rock beneath their feet because they're walking backwards. And you're, you're guiding them and you're taking their foot and you're putting their foot on the rock, the solid place to stand, a solid foothold. But they can't see that foothold. And you, as the parent behind them, you're guiding their foot. You're putting it in the right spot. And they're kind of freaking out a little bit. They're like, I just want to stay here. You can't stay in the valley because you will die and fail if you stay in the valley. We have to trust that the Lord has got us in our next step. And while it might feel intimidating, it might even feel fearful in those moments. We trade our fear for faith, and we trust God to help us with our next step. Now, I do believe the world we live in today is kind of like a long, dark valley. Now, we certainly have moments of mountaintops, moments of joy, moments of celebration, moments of great feelings, but there's a lot in this world that we have to walk through and process. And it feels like we find some great, some great breakthrough moments throughout history. We, find, we see some incredible moments, right? And we also see some incredible dark times. So just imagine, right, living through World War II, for example. This has got to be the end of the world. There's no way. And finally, finally, 1945 comes around and the war is over. The world's still a mess, but that moment is, is past. There's a moment of celebration. And then... We get plunged into situations here and situations there. I believe the world we have today is like a long, dark valley. There's many things that cause us pain. There's many things that cause us suffering. Some of it's self-inflicted. I'll let you deal with that one between you and God. But the fact of the matter is we still walk through a world that has been cursed by God because the world rejected him. But we have good news this morning. Are you ready for some good news? 
So we walk through this cursed and we this barren land of this life. First Corinthians tells us this is some good news. Are you ready for some good news? Everyone kind of stopped and looked up. Okay, Corey put up his hand and gave me a thumbs up. Here's the good news. Read First Corinthians. It tells us this: that God is restoring the world through Christ Jesus back to Himself. That's the quick version paraphrase. So this may be a broken, barren, dark place, but here's some good news for you. God is bringing hope and restoration. And he's doing it through Christ Jesus. Now, why is that significant? We'll talk about that another time because it's incredibly significant because without that significance, we wouldn't be here today. But let me ask you this question. If God is reconciling and restoring the world through Christ, how is he going to do that? Well, let me ask you this question. Who is the bride of Christ? Anybody know? We are, the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Now, um, if someone gives me a million dollars, is that mine or does Elizabeth get to partake in that too? Rebecca would say that. Of course she would. Of course she does, right? She's my bride. If someone gives me the world, she gets the world because she's my bride. We're, the, we're like the same person. Not really, but to become one. So what's mine is hers is hers, and what's hers is mine is hers. So uh, I don't think I said that right, but you know what I'm getting. You know, what, what's hers is mine, what's mine is Anyways, don't worry. We're together. It doesn't matter. Get off the notes. That's what happens. Let's just drink coffee. Oh, it's like the instant sweat starts to come. Oh, Lord. Getting in trouble. But here's the beautiful thing is if God is restoring the world and reconciling the world back to himself through Christ and the church is the bride of Christ, that holds just, you know, just a little bit of significance for us this morning. That holds quite a lot of significance for us because we are the bride of Christ, which means we get to experience the inheritance from the Father, the gift of eternal life in glory because we are the bride of Christ. We are the church. And so God is restoring the world back to himself. He's reconciling the world through Christ, and he's using us, the church, the bride of Christ, to bring hope to this weary, dark valley. So as we walk the barren land, we remember that, one, Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us. Two, he leads us not to the valley. He leads us through the valley. It implies that this place is not our home. This is not our destination. The world as we know it today is not where we will end up. The world that God has promised us is a fully restored, beautiful kingdom of heaven coming here and restoring the earth to its former glory at creation and is using us to do that. Now, I could probably go on and preach on this for a little bit. I get a little excited when I start to think of the possibilities. Well, what does that mean? Well, if we see an injustice, what does that mean for us as the church? Because God is a just God. He has poured out everything to the Son. We are the bride of the Son. So when we see an injustice, what does that mean for us? We call out justice. When we see, when we see someone sick and someone that is broken, and we see that the way of the kingdom is not pain and suffering, we have the opportunity to bring hope and healing. And here's the beautiful thing is that we don't do it by our own hands. Now, 
I look around the room. We've got a couple nurses. We've got our doctor here. God's given them some incredible gifts. We're thankful for those physical opportunities to bring about healing. We're thankful for that opportunity for us to build uh, schools, to build hospitals, to build feeding programs, to do those really practical things. Don't want to discount. Those are very important. We need to continue to do those kinds of things. Need to continue to support our missionaries and the work that they do to bring hope to the most, some of the most broken people in the world. But there's also that something God gives us when the physical cannot be, when the physical problems cannot be met with physical uh, solutions, we have the Spirit of God to work and flow through us as we talked about last week on Pentecost Sunday. So it implies as much as this world is not our home, when we see something that does not line up with the kingdom of God, we as the bride of Christ have the opportunity, and I would say even the responsibility, to respond in such a way that brings the kingdom of God to that situation. And when there is no longer a tangible solution for that situation, I believe we can call on heaven to come to earth now. And Jesus prays this prayer in his prayer to the Father. Lord, your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And so when we see an injustice and we see a suffering moment, we see something that does not line up with the kingdom of God, I think we have the responsibility to do what we can to bring heaven to earth in that moment. Now, does that person necessarily going to respond? Maybe yes, maybe maybe no. That's up to their faith, certainly. But we walk in obedience, just as, as Peter is standing outside the gate in the the man asked them, the beggar asked them for some money, and he says, silver and gold have I not. But Frank, what does he say? What I have I give unto you. And instantly the man's healed, and he gets up and he walks. Never, never did that before in his life. So there's people around us that need to get up and walk. And while they had power to heal from the Holy Spirit, it was still dependent on the faith of the beggar to receive and so I say, when we see these moments of injustice, is when we see these battles that people are facing, and we recognize that there is a spiritual force at work that does not want these people, does not want us to be well, and we walk with the Spirit, the Spirit walks with us and has filled us and has moved us forward, we have the opportunity to bring heaven to earth. As we close today, I want to leave you with a few thoughts about fighting in the valley. Even though it's the Lord's battle and he fights for us and he wins for us, there's some very practical steps, I think, that help us overcome. Elizabeth's going to come and play a song called Fresh Wind. We learned it last Sunday. And just as she leads this song, I want to bring us over to the book of Ephesians this morning. You've probably read through this before. You've probably heard of this before. But uh, we're going to talk about the armor of God just for a minute here. I didn't bookmark Ephesians because I know where it is, but it takes me a while to get there. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, and against the powers of dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. 
In addition to this, take up your shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. A few things to take note here. We fight a battle that's not against flesh and blood. That might be a little bit unusual for some of us, but it really shouldn't be. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where it just seems like someone's just always against you. Every time you talk to them, every time you walk into their their space, every time they come into your space, it just seems to be coming up against you. Maybe you're waiting for, for just something to shift in your life, something to shift in work, in your job. Maybe something to shift in your family, and you go, what's, what's with this opposition that's coming against me? And we recognize that imperfect people, meeting imperfect people, isn't going to create perfection. It's going to create chaos. It's going to create disunity. It's gonna, there's going to be some tension there. We also recognize, though, and we want to have eyes to see when those are not just interpersonal relationship issues, but when there's actually a spiritual issue. And we want to have eyes to see, and we want to be prepared to fight those spiritual battles. The next, next week, we'll explore a little bit more of the, of the armor of God, but let me leave you with the first one, the belt of truth this morning. For a soldier during Paul's time when he wrote this passage, a belt wasn't worn as a fashion item. I don't know if you have a belt for a fashion item. I don't. I have three belts. One's a nice belt. One's an almost nice belt. And one is just a simply practical work belt. But a belt for a soldier in Paul's time was to protect the soldier's body, to carry their weapons, and to keep their tunic together. together. Everything rested on the secure belt. Everything about our faith rests on the belt of truth. Everything about our faith hangs on the truth that Jesus was who he said he was. That Jesus did what he said he was going to do. Everything about the belt of truth, everything about our faith hangs on this truth. And it's important and vital for us to understand God's truth as illustrated and taught in his word. And to put that truth into action by living lives of integrity. If we believe to be true, if we say we believe this to be true, then we need to put on this truth. Psalm 25, 5 says, guide me in your truths and teach me, for you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Second Timothy, remember I said it was a really good book, 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Let me just leave that first one with you today. All of this world that we walk through, the only way we overcome this world is through Jesus Christ himself. The only way we overcome this valley, the only way we get through this valley is with Jesus Christ himself because Jesus is sent by God to restore the world and and restore this land and restore the people back to God. 
And everything we believe hinges on this truth. And so the first thing we do when we enter into battle, when we come against opposition, is to remember this promise of reconciliation. And so instead of fighting against what is happening in the flesh, just kind of putting on the glasses, the lens of God, and say, instead of fighting against this, instead of just giving into this and going along with it, how can I bring the kingdom of God, the power of God, the resurrection of Jesus, and the restoration of God's plan into this moment? Because God, this is, this, nothing here has changed. And I tell you all the time, my wife tells me all the time, you can always pray about it. Absolutely you can. But asking the question, God, what can I do in the spirit to bring peace in this moment? And the first thing we start is with the belt of truth. And so as we kind of jump back to the, I mean, Pentecost Sunday was just the starting point. So we can celebrate Pentecost every day of the week, every day of the year. It doesn't have to be one day a year. We say, okay, Spirit of God, in my own flesh, I just want to get up and fight. I want to press back. I want to give up. I want to just do what my flesh wants to do. But Spirit, would you come? Would you give me a fresh wind as Elizabeth's going to sing for us here in just a second? Give us a fresh wind so I can see your kingdom come in a way that I've never seen it come before in this moment, in this situation. Elizabeth's going to sing and then we'll pray together before we go today. Why don't we stand and just change our posture. If you don't know the words, you can read them. You can close your eyes. Just listen to it and just pray this prayer. God, give me your spirit. Pour out your spirit like a fresh wind so that I can see your kingdom come. Would you do me a favor this morning as we just uh, declare these words? God, pour your spirit out. Would you just raise your hands in a receiving posture today? And even just, even... You can close your eyes and keep them open. It doesn't matter. It's just coming back to Habakkuk in chapter 2. There's a moment he says, I'm going to stand on my guard post and I'm going to, I'm going to take a posture where I can hear the Lord. It's a day we can sing this song. We can receive the word that was spoken today. But as, uh, I'm sorry, the clock was broken. If you, need to, if you need to leave, you can go. But I don't want you to miss what the Spirit has for you this morning. But I just... Uh, as we're in this moment together, we, we receive this word, we hear the song, we sing the words of this song. We just want to take a moment, an opportunity this morning just to say, God, here I am. But I'm in this posture to receive from you, to pour your spirit out. But I'm ready to receive, Lord, this anointing from heaven. Lord, not only would it fill my spirit, but Lord, it would give me power. It would flow out of me, O oh God, so that I can bring your kingdom come, that I can be the bride of Christ. And I can introduce people to the life-changing work of Jesus Christ. Lord, for the hopeless, Lord, let me bring them hope. Lord, give me your spirit. Pour your spirit out so it gives me confidence, O oh God. Lord, not to stand still, not to be silent, not to ignore what's going on. But Lord, give me your power so that I have confidence to not run away in the face of fear. But Lord, let me run towards the giant like David did with his sling. Lord, give me the confidence that Daniel had when he went to the lion's den. Give me the faith like Moses as he walked through the wilderness. Give me the confidence even of Joshua and the faith of Joshua, not to fear the giants, not to fear a river, not to fear Jericho, not to fear mighty warriors. But God, give us the confidence 
to know that you are fighting the battles for us. And Lord, we will simply come and through the power of your love, Lord, through sound mind discernment, Lord, your spirit as it's poured out on us, we will bring your kingdom, Lord, here to this earth as it is in heaven. Through your power, through your spirit, O God. Lord, I don't want to fight in my own flesh anymore. I don't want to fight in my own strength, God. I want you, your spirit, to pour out over me to fight the battles before us. And so, God, as we take this posture today of receiving, Lord, we just expect, Lord, here and now and in the moments to come, as we go from this place of God, we would remember when we wake up in the morning to hold on to this truth that you are who you say you are, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You, Lord, you are our resurrection and our life. And Lord, with that truth attached to us at the very core of who we are, may you give us your spirit to do the good works that you've called us to do. To bring healing, to bring hope, to bring renewal and restoration, O God, to a hurting and broken world. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.